So let's just have a word of prayer as we begin today. Heavenly Father, we we thank you just for this day that we can come and worship you. And I just pray all that we do here brings glory and honor to you. We we lift up the Kunda family and the and the loss of Jesse's grandmother. We just pray that you'll be with them and comfort them. And uh, along with that, we pray for the Elliott family and and just pray as we have a celebration of life for Francis that it'll just bring glory and honor to you as well. But Lord, we uh, also just thank you for the many blessings. And right here at Kersey Community Church, we thank you so much uh, for this new building, a place that we can come and worship and have outreach ministries and and just uh, reach the community with your love and your mercy. But Lord, right now, we just pray that your word will speak to us. And I, I thank you again for each one who's here and those who are watching online. We just pray that you'll be with them. And, and again, we just uh, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, we're going to take a, a second of three series on divine moments, and I think I have, uh, I'll try and do the pictures, which they're not working, so you'll have to do them, Micah. So, and we got the next one. Push, if that doesn't work, pull, if that doesn't work, we must be closed. <laughs> next one, lane closed to ease congestion. That happens a lot, I think so. Okay, next one. <laughs> that's what we're having for men's group this week. I uh, thought I'd tell you that. So I think that's all that we got. So last week, uh, we were talking about grabbing hold of those moments in life which are somewhat transformative. And it's kind of a tall order. It's kind of what makes messages like this filled with so much fun, but also anxiety. Because as believers, we want to be alert to when God is calling us to do something. And sometimes we know when it's our moment, but sometimes, and sometimes it's really obvious it's kind of like, uh, to use uh, sports analogies, which we have not many sports right now, um, say for instance, uh, you're at the plate, it's the bottom of the ninth, you're down two runs and the bases are loaded, it's a moment. Or maybe you've got the basketball in your hands and there's only a few seconds left and your team is down by one, it's a moment. Or maybe you're quarterback and you're leading your team right at the end and you need this last play in order to score, those are obvious moments in life. You know it, you're there, you can sense it. It has a potential to be special. It probably also has a potential to haunt you the rest of your life depending on the outcome. The problem is life is not filled with a lot of obvious moments. Moments when God calls us to do something which makes a difference in our life and a difference in the lives of other people. So sometimes it's, in a sense, we look and we say it's hard to find those moments or it's hard to manufacture these kinds of things. But when they occur, we need to be so ready that we're primed and ready to pounce on those knowing that God is calling us to do a certain thing. So sometimes it might be easy to know that I'm open to what God, for, the, for these God moments. But really it becomes, I've got to develop my attitude, I've got to develop my character, I've got to develop my, a spirit within me 
which leads me to look for God-sized opportunities. Those are the moments we experience the power and presence of God, moments that we serve God in ways that seemingly drastically change the world. Actually, they don't dress. Sometimes they don't. But they're moments that we're serving God and we're changing dramatically maybe someone else's life. They might not even know it. They may have, you may have to help someone go that extra mile. But hopefully it's a way that we can show people that there is good in the world. Now there's a couple of passages that we're going to talk about today. And and I'm going to tell you right now, they're kind of tough ones. Not to understand, but they're tough ones to follow. And I want to read a passage from the book of James. And if we know about the book of James, he's a very super practical person. His book is a very application type book. The problem with James is he steps on our toes over and over again. And James does it in a really powerful way. So if you have your Bibles and you turn to James chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 14 through 17 and then also verse 26. But here's what it says. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Then if we jog down to verse 26, it says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So we read this passage in James. And it seems like maybe he's contradicting what Paul says in Romans about being saved by faith. James seems to infer that we are maybe doing good works, and that's what brings our salvation, but that's not what James is talking about at all. He's already talking to people who are saved. What James wants us to understand in this passage is that if we have great faith in God, but we have nothing to show for it in terms of what are we doing for the kingdom of God, James is really asking the question, do you really believe in Jesus? That's a tough question. That seems pretty harsh. But if we think about it, it's really not. James wants us to put our faith in Christ in action with the things that we do. It's what the Apostle Paul actually says in the book of Ephesians. When he tells us that we are saved by faith, through grace, not by works. But if you keep reading in that Ephesians passage, his next comment is that we are God's workmanship created to do good. So you see, our faith, our faith that we have in Christ should compel us to be doing good. As Christians, we should be looking to do good. That should be part of our daily prayer. You do pray daily, right? You say, well, gee, Lord, who can I give my money to today? I want to be your servant. Probably not that way. That's not what I'm talking about. But I think it's sometimes seeing the obvious 
and the not so obvious and taking action. Because action is where our faith comes in. True faith will manifest itself in actions. It's a natural outgrowth of who we are in Christ. So if you really believe in Jesus, there should be action to our lives. Now remember, James even says that the demons believe, and obviously they don't have good actions. So James, the book of James is our starting point. How many have been to a restaurant in the last uh, year? And you get the menu and they say, do you want any appetizers? What do you usually say? No? Nobody gets the blooming onion? Or, or you get the appetizer, then you're too full to eat the other stuff. Well, James, this morning, that was just the appetizer. Okay? Now we're going to get to the meat. Or I guess if you're a vegetarian, you're going to get to your asparagus. Okay? But these statements, the meat that we have this morning is really powerful statements by Jesus. And it's a passage from Matthew 25. And I encourage you on Wednesday nights, if you don't watch the online Bible study, you need to be doing that. Scott does a great job with that. And I think they're going to be discussing this chapter this next week. And so you'll be a little bit familiar. So when he teaches you some stuff, but the, the Jesus is coming near to the end of his life, and he's talking to the people, and he's sharing with them some really important final lessons. And so if you have your Bibles in Matthew 25, starting with verse 31, and I'm going to read 15 verses. So if you're already sleepy, you might want to keep your eyes open to the screen. And um, if we set the scene... Um, to be honest, it sounds like very stinging statements from Jesus. But I think Jesus wants to get to the point about what does it really mean to be a follower? Because it's not simply believing in Jesus, and then we wait, and then we die, and then we get our reward. We're supposed to participate in the work of the kingdom of God. So picture Jesus coming in his glory to sit on the throne. It's a pretty awesome picture. And here's what it says, starting with verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. 
I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me, naked, and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So everybody take a deep breath. <sighs> a lot of stuff there. But think about, with all the angels, Jesus coming with all the angels with him. Not just a few, but he says all the angels. And according to Revelation 5, Jesus is going to have thousands of angels. Amirad in the Greek is what it's talking about, and it says Amirad is 10,000. So Jesus is coming with 10,000 times 10,000 angels which if my calculations not offhand is about a hundred million. hundred million angels. I mean, that's hard to imagine. So Jesus gathers all the people, the rich, the famous, the not so rich, the poor, the, the unknown, the sickly, the healthy. Every person is gathered by Jesus and all the angels. So we got this intense situation going on. And then Jesus says, I guess I better not split it up. Some of you are sheep and some of you are goats. So I'll let you guys figure that out at this point, but is it my right or your right? Um, so can you imagine that? You got this, all these people here. And Jesus separates them. And maybe you're wondering, maybe they're wondering, why, why are we being separated? Are we just getting ready to, to pick up teams for a tug of war? Or, or maybe we're going to split up teams and play kickball or, or something like that. You don't really know what's coming next. But then those on the right, Jesus says, hey, you're the sheep that go. Here's your inheritance. Go into the kingdom that's prepared for you. It was prepared for you before the foundation of the world. And you're thinking, wow, this is great. I'm receiving entrance into the kingdom of God. And then Jesus tells you why. He says, I was hungry. I was thirsty. I was a stranger. I was naked. I was sick. I was in prison. And you took care of me. You saw me and you came to my aid. You gave of yourself. Your faith was put into action. You cared for my needs. Verse 40 says, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now, now picture this. Now, do we believe this? Jesus didn't say, because you cared for them. He says, because you cared for me. Whatever you do for another person, we are doing it for Jesus. And we're called to love our neighbors. We're called to look after one another. We're called to maybe see Jesus in all the people around us. It doesn't matter if we're red or yellow, black or white. Didn't you love some of those Sunday school songs that they sang at Bible school? We might not like what someone else stands for. 
Here's one that maybe is not relevant. You might not like somebody's stance on politics. You might not like somebody else's sexuality. You might just not like them. But that's not really the point of what Jesus is saying. The question is, do we see Jesus in them? Because in Jesus' time, nobody liked the leper. Nobody liked the sick people. Nobody liked the lame. Nobody liked the demon-possessed, the blind, the dead. But that never stopped Jesus from talking about them and to them and touching them and healing those that needed a touch. So that's the first scene. We're all entering into the kingdom and we're all excited. But now there's another part of this. The scene and the mood shifts. In verse 41, it says, Then Jesus will say to those on his left, that's the goats, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. If you go on, verses 42 and 43, Jesus said, I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was a stranger, naked, sick, prison, and you did nothing. You didn't care for me. What do they answer? They say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or in need? And Jesus responds to this group, this goat group, in the opposite way of what he did for the others. In verse 45, he says, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. So now you kind of picture the scene where maybe they're arguing with Jesus a little bit. And they say, Lord, we never saw you hungry. Never saw you thirsty. We never saw you naked or prison or anything like that. If we had seen you in that situation, we would have done something. And Jesus responds, he says, get away. You didn't do, do it for the least of these. If you didn't do it for the person in need, you didn't do it to me. And then he says, you have no part in my kingdom. Depart. Man, that's harsh. Those are some harsh words. That's, that's, that's being in somebody's face right there, telling them, telling them the truth right there, right? It hit me this week. It's for me. But Jesus is right there calling us all out. He's telling us, get over our pride and our arrogance. He's telling us to practice humility in our lives. Because remember, Jesus emptied himself of his divinity when he came here so that he could serve us. So Jesus could experience life and help us identify with him because he's experienced what it's like to be in pain. He's experienced what it's like to suffer. He's been there. He knows that. And so he's telling us the same thing. Practice humility. And he says, practice humility so when those times and moments in life come, and we, knew, we know they do, we got to seize the opportunity. Those are divine moments to help someone out, but we're doing it for because we believe in Christ. It's helping another person and being open to it. It's putting away all the criticism. It's not saying, hey, we should be doing this and we should be doing that especially when we're not willing to do this or that. You ever done that? Or you done this? I think you know what I mean. It's being willing to get our hands a little dirty 
as we begin to help other people. It might be picking up the phone and calling a brother or sister and, and seeing how they're doing. Checking up on them. Maybe knowing of a need of someone, and not that I necessarily can help with the need, but I can help get a solution to it and start making some resource calls. But I believe that we see many people probably on a daily basis in need, and we simply walk by, and we don't give it a second thought. So on the one hand, it's letting go of our arrogance and pride because, you know, I don't want to have to look back on my life and see all the regrets. I mean, I probably have enough of them. But when it comes to serving Christ, I don't want to look back and say, wow, I had these opportunities and I didn't do it. I had this opportunity and I didn't have it. I want to continue to be a servant of God. I want to take a passage like this that Jesus talks about and other passages and I want to put them into practice. I don't want to make it look like I don't care. I don't want God to look at me and say, well, you didn't really care about it. I don't want to appear lazy to God. That's a tough one. I see a need Sometimes I just want to skip over it, whether it's in the community or in the church. Or how often we walk by people in need, and we know that there's a need, and we got this prompting of God to, to maybe do something about it. And what do we do? We talk ourselves out of it by saying, well, that's, somebody's going to have to do something. Somebody, it's somebody else's job to do. Somebody will take care of this problem. But can you imagine what a church would be like if we were more concerned with helping other people and we were less concerned about pointing fingers? I mean, think about that. Can you imagine what would happen if we tried to demonstrate the love of Jesus into our community, which we have a lot of people hurting. We have a lot of people in our community that are desperately in need of Jesus. So when those moments come, and they are going to come. Those are divine opportunities to serve another person. But more than, more than that, there are moments from God where we have the chance to serve God who came to redeem us. So I'll bet you know what the application of the passage is today. What are we going to do this week? How are we going to serve Christ in our individual lives? And here's the challenge. I want you to be aware this week of some maybe some divine moments that you can grab onto and make a difference in your corner of the world. Because it all starts with one person. It starts with you. And I think God's calling all of us and saying, are you going to be that one person for me? Remember last week when we talked about here am I, send me. And we might have made that commitment by saying, yeah, Lord, you can send me. Well, this gives you a little bit more to go on of where He might be sending each one of us. It's right where you're at right now. In your corner of the world, He wants us to reach out and help the people in need. Tough passage.
I could go on and on and on. But since the new chairs are here and, you know, we've got other things to do, I trust God is speaking to you today about, Lord, I'm willing to serve you no matter what. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, this morning we thank you for your word and just a tough passage. But Lord, I just pray myself that I will be more obedient to you. And Lord, that I can do my part to, to help those that are in need, to be aware of those divine moments that you bring our way, probably on a daily basis. And so Lord, I just pray that when we're aware of the situations that we take hold of it, and Lord, that we're doing it to you, and we're doing it for you. And so Lord, just be with our community today, and I, and I do pray that if there's anyone here that has never given their heart and life to you, I just pray right, in, right even where they're sitting, that they will ask you into their heart and life. But Lord, I just pray that we can go out of here today rejoicing, knowing that you've called our name and you've got a job for us to do, and I just pray that those moments will be willing and ready and eager to serve you. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.